This podcast is presented by the Verizon Partner Network. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, James Kent. Cybersecurity in 2021. Companies know how important cybersecurity is to their businesses, right? Right? You would think, yet every day, hackers are busy trying to infiltrate businesses with a cadre of threats from ransomware attacks and data breaches to malicious viruses that can take down networks. It's a never-ending battle with cyber threats and security risks that a business must face. Uh, The good news is at Verizon, they take these risks seriously and strive to make mobile and network security a priority. They have a wealth of resources to get your business started on the right path to cybersecurity. And to talk about some of these resources is my guest today, Christopher Novak. Christopher is the Global Director of the Threat Research Advisory Center with Verizon. Uh, Christopher is a leader in cybersecurity with a wealth of experience in consulting with multinational corporations and government agencies regarding their cybersecurity posture and helping their leadership teams prepare strategically for handling cybersecurity. Christopher, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Thank you. Uh, doing well. Uh, pleasure to be here. Uh, always enjoy talking about cybersecurity every every chance I get. Uh, no, I love these conversations because afterwards I'm I'm scared uh, and go and figure out what am I doing wrong. <laughs> I got to fix everything. Um, but uh, hopefully not too scared at the end. But uh, we'll we'll try to keep it informative and uh, educational. But Christopher, as we look at the landscape of 2021, what would you say are the top cybersecurity threat trends happening today? I mean, is it ransomware attacks? Is it vulnerabilities to organizations' networks due to large volumes of workers working remotely because of the pandemic? Uh, What are you seeing? Yeah, so I'd say it's a combination of a number of things. Um, You know, you hit on two big ones there, though, which, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention. And that is, you know, ransomware. I mean, in fact, if you look at the research that we've done, the cases that we work, my team works hundreds and hundreds of breach investigations every year for organizations, large and small, all around the world, across all industries. And ransomware is something that just keeps Mm. popping up over and over again. Um, in fact, ransomware, just looking at our data from the cases that we've seen over the last year, year and a half, ransomware is now the number one most common form of malware that we see. So I think you have to say that that is top of the charts. And I think, you know, part of that really stems from, you know, the threat actors get paid really quickly. You know, I, I've been doing cybersecurity now for over 20 years. And it's interesting to see how the dynamics of uh, breaches and incidents and all of that have changed. You know, in the early days, and, and I'm not saying that the old day breaches are gone, um, but in the early days, it was all about someone stealing your personal information and then trying to sell it on the dark web, whether it's your, your credit card number or your social security number. And those breaches are alive and well. We're hearing about big ones in the news right now. But ransomware has created a whole new avenue of uh, breaches and ways in which threat actors can get paid for their breaches. And think about it. Historically, you look at breaches, it might take a threat actor days, weeks, months to compromise an organization, get in, find that data, extract it out, sell it, monetize it, and get paid. With ransomware, they deploy it, and typically the ransomware notice comes up and it tells you you've got 24, 48 hours, maybe 72 hours to pay the ransom. So most of those threat actors, it can be kind of a quick cash cow. They get paid and they move on. They get paid and they move on. So that's definitely a big one. 
And then you also hit on another one, and this has kind of been a bit of a pet peeve of mine is around the remote work. Obviously, you know, I've, I've talked with a lot of CISOs around how the pandemic has changed their work environment. And in fact, some of them have come out and said, hey, we have projects that we would have taken months, if not years to get done, that because of the pandemic, everybody banded together. And in a matter of, you know, a week or two, we got the entire workforce remote. And that's a, a monumental and, and notable effort. But the thing that 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 I kind of touch on as it relates to that and the impact to cybersecurity is it's kind of had, um, you know, if I can borrow from the 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 pandemic related terminology, it's kind of decreased our cyber herd immunity, if <laughs> yeah. you will. So, you know, when we think of COVID, um, you know, we say, look, the more people who are vaccinated, the the better our herd immunity and, and we can kind of keep the number of infections down. And we see kind of a similar approach as cybersecurity. You know, if you think about the way most organizations run their cyber shop, they have these things called fusion centers where they bring stakeholders from different parts of the business together into one place to work closely in order to be able to act on a cyber threat quickly and decisively and with all that stakeholder input. As everyone has now moved remote now that has become more challenging. So that kind of herd immunity, if you will, in terms of this person leans over the cubicle wall and talks to that person or shouts down someone over at the uh, the water cooler or the cafeteria to talk about what they're seeing, you don't see all of that happening as much or it's not as convenient as it was before. And so what I hear from a lot of customers is they're concerned about what they may be missing or not seeing because their people are more remote. They understand the need for the remote, but they're also trying to find ways to combat the uh, the impacts it may have to their, their cyber uh, herd immunity, if you will. We may have socially distanced our cybersecurity a bit too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, you know, uh, businesses are looking for solutions and tools to help them combat cybersecurity uh, threats. And one tool that the Verizon team put together uh, is the 2021 Data Breach Investigations Report, or DBIR. Uh, and you can find that on the website. What are some of the highlights and key takeaways from that report? Yeah, absolutely. And and you, you hit on the, the website, uh, verizon.com slash DBIR. You can grab yourself a copy of the report. It's free to everybody. Um, I've actually had the opportunity and pleasure to be part of the DBIR reporting team since the very first um, instance of the report going back 14 plus years. And there's always something interesting that jumps out um, from the report each year is kind of a little bit new, different kind of trending. I'd say one of the things that definitely jumps out at me from this most recent report is, you know, 61% of breaches involved credential data, mm. passwords. And it's interesting because we've been talking about passwords since probably the beginning of time, right? Like whether it's a, a computer password or a physical combination, um, the importance of keeping that safe and not using the same one everywhere, right? You would be surprised how often I, I will tell somebody, well, let me guess, your 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 four-digit pin here is probably the same as your, your alarm four-digit pin on your house and your ATM four-digit pin. And you can see everyone go... <laughs> I'll be right back uh, because they realize, oh, yes, they're using that same pin everywhere. And the same thing we see with passwords. We see a lot of organizations reuse them over and over again. And, you know, I, I'm not trying to, to make light or make fun of anybody. I think it's a there's a human factor component of it. We can only remember so much. And so the human brain, we try to figure out ways to take shortcuts. And if we can remember one thing and use it 10 times, that's easier than trying to remember 10 different discrete passwords. 
But the challenge we see when it comes to cybersecurity is when a password gets breached in a certain compromise and that password now becomes known, you know, think about it. Most places you log into today, your login is probably your email address and then you have a password. If you use that same password in a dozen places, well, guess what? If your login is that same user, is that is that same email address, well, now I have your email address and password that gets me into 10 places. And so we see a lot of challenges with that. And so, you know, one of the things that I, I continually try to encourage people to look at is you know, multi-factor authentication. So, you know, you've got your username, you've got your password, and then you've got some other kind of token of authentication that is, is you know, maybe more dynamic in nature. That helps solve a lot of these problems because interestingly, when my team goes in and we do breach investigations for organizations, it's one of the first questions we ask is, do you have multi-factor authentication? Because if you don't, then there's a really good chance we're going to probably find passwords to your site on the dark web. And that's probably how someone got the initial foothold in the environment. And this is probably an area where we need to do, you know, some containment measures. And I've even seen some organizations where, you know, they will be very proud to say, yeah, we use multi-factor. We have it implemented. We're super ecstatic about it. And then we start doing the investigation. We start digging in and we find out they have it in, you know, three out of 10 places, but the other seven where they don't have it, it's single factor passwords compromised. And I've even seen really creative threat actors where they get in through a single factor mechanism. They find the system that manages multi-factor authentication, and then they create themselves multi-factor accounts. So now they can come in the front door looking like everybody else. So that's a big thing that jumps out at me. And, and the other thing that I would also say is kind of an important add-on to that as we talk about credentials is, you know, I always challenge organizations with what are you doing around things like dark web hunting? Because so much of the credential related issues we see are related to what threat actors can buy or barter on the dark web. And there is nothing that prevents organizations from looking for their own data in those same places. If you find that your customer accounts or your employee accounts or your administrator's accounts have been compromised and are for sale on the dark web, you can take action and reset those accounts or disable them or something. But if you kind of fly blind and just say, look, I'll figure it out when a breach happens, guess what? You have to wait for the breach to happen then at that point. So there's definitely steps that can be taken. We have a lot of organizations that reach out to us asking for help with that exact same thing. They say, look, they don't want to be going down those dark alleys of the internet looking for, for their data, but they would be happy to have us go looking on their behalf and they'll give us information to look for and say, you know, here are key, inf uh, here are key employees, here are key project code names. If you guys can tell us whether or not any of that is seen on the dark web, then, you know, they will take action. So I'd say those are probably some initial things that I would say that kind of jump out at me that, that I would, I would cover. Chris, I feel like you've just given me like five or six topics that we should explore on further uh, <laughs> podcasts because there's some really good stuff there. Uh, you know, another statistic that jumped out at me from that report, and I think it really ties into the, the first statistic that you mentioned, but was that 85% of breaches involved a human element, uh, while only 3% of breaches involved vulnerability exploitation. Uh, so it seems to me as if companies have a good handle on one side of the security equation, but they need to do work on the other side. And uh, it sounds like you've already mentioned a few things, but I, I believe that this 85% number could be reduced. Uh, and I'm wondering what other ways businesses uh, can protect themselves. I mean, I know that there's 
issues where multiple users have access to devices that they probably shouldn't have within an organization. And if they get infected, then those devices get infected. So, I mean, there's one off the bat that I'm offering, but uh, I'm kind of curious as to what else can we do to reduce that uh, human element from causing a breach? Yeah, great point. I think the human element is a challenge that a lot of organizations struggle with. And, you know, one of the things that I recommend very heavily is a layered approach, because I think everybody tries to kind of attack the problem from just one specific angle. And the the human element is a complicated one. We're all complicated individuals. And there's different ways in which we respond to threats and social engineering attacks. I mean, honestly, that that 85% number that you mentioned, a lot of that relates to social engineering attacks and people being tricked. In fact, you know, we, we talked about in our report, this was a couple of years back now, I don't remember exactly which year it was, but someone kind of tongue-in-cheek joked a little bit that, hey, you know, eventually breaches are going to get to the point where the threat actors don't have to do anything difficult. They're just going to call somebody and say, hey, give me your data. And, and the kind of joke of it was the social engineering has gotten so good that, you know, they don't always have to go after the hard uh, entry point of getting into an organization, it may be more about how easily can I trick someone, right? You know, I, I draw the analogy of it's like robbing a bank. You rarely see that bank robbers blow a hole through the side of the bank and walk into the back of the they vault, just walk right? In with a note. Usually what they do is they walk in the front door and they ask someone, hey, is the vault open? Take me to it. And they may have a gun or a knife or something else to coerce that person to do that. But they get someone on the inside or they walk through the front door because that is the softer, easier way to get into it. And we see the same thing on the cybersecurity side is that the threat actors are going after people because it's easier. The people already have access. And so that's where I say layered approach. You have to do things like user education and awareness. That helps. If you can knock down the likelihood of one of your employees being tricked or duped, that 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 reduces that number quite substantially. And then the next layer is security technology and processes. What is it that you're doing when someone does fall victim to one of these, you know, phishing or, or other types of social engineering attacks? How do you utilize your technology and your processes to address it very quickly? How do you encourage people to come forward and say something? You know, you might be surprised how often when we get called in, we'll start interviewing people as we're doing the breach investigation and someone will say, you know, I did click on this link and I, I did download this thing, but... I was embarrassed, so I didn't tell anybody. And you can tell that, you know, if the security team knew yeah. that that's where it started, they could have taken decisive, quick action. But because the person felt embarrassed or they might get in trouble, they didn't say anything and hope maybe nothing happened. Um, and as a result, the situation probably got a lot bigger than it ever really needed to be. So, you know, there's an element there of encouraging people to come forward and say, look, you know, Everyone needs to play a role in security. If we're going to leave it up to just the security team, they are too small. They will do what they can, but it's going to be like whack-a-mole. And the more hammers we can get out there whacking moles, the, the better off we all are. So that's why everyone really needs to play a role. And that layered approach to security has to be a big piece of it. This 2021 DBIR, it is an amazing tool with a lot of insights, information, and ideas for cybersecurity strategies. But... 
it's also 119 pages. So we don't have time to go through all the content on this show. Uh, but I was wondering, beyond the highlights and takeaways you already shared, what else in this guide can businesses home in on and, and focus their attentions on to tighten their security protocols? Uh, are there some large-scale initiatives that organizations should be looking at? And then what about some low-hanging fruit actions they could take to improve security right away? So I'd say if I had to pick maybe two things, maybe one bigger initiative and one smaller initiative, the bigger one I would say is threat intelligence. You know, I, I, I look at threat intelligence and also to some degree dark web hunting. It's a way to gain visibility of what your threat landscape looks like, but you can gain that visibility further afield. So think of it as I don't necessarily have to know or, or rather, if I'm looking at, say, securing my house, rather than waiting for the burglar to be at my door, what if I could extend my view and see a block away from my house, anyone that's approaching? What if I could then extend that 10 blocks or five neighborhoods out? The more you can gain visibility further out, the more you can implement uh, enhanced uh, detection or prevention measures such that as that threat actor or as that threat approaches, you can feel comfortable you've got the right mitigation in place so that it doesn't cause you any issue. And threat intelligence is key to that. It's all about how do you bring data of what the threat landscape looks like all over the world so you have a good situational awareness. And what I encourage people to do is, you know, we we see this a lot. People are looking to implement, you know, a turnkey threat intelligence solution. They say, look, it's hard to get the people. It's hard to know what technology to use. So they'll reach out and we'll help them build. You know, we'll, we'll even come in and set up a threat intelligence platform. We'll bring in threat intelligence feeds right into it. We'll integrate it with the rest of their environment. And the upside of this is you can also do a lot of automation and orchestration. So, if the threat intelligence feed says this email is bad and we know it's bad because a hundred thousand other organizations have already told us so, or we've seen it in a breach and we know this attachment is malware, the fact that that feed comes right into your platform and your platform can automatically tell your mail system, block these messages, you know, eradicate this malware. These are things that then your people don't have to spend as much time on. They can focus on more of the, the higher order, more complex things. You can let the threat intelligence platform inform the rest of your infrastructure. So that's one. And I say that's a bigger one because it's got more moving parts to it. But there is a lot of ROI and a lot of automation that comes out of that. So it helps a lot of organizations do more with less, especially if they're constrained in terms of the people resources or they struggle to maybe hire and retain cybersecurity talents. Then the other one I mentioned was maybe a smaller, simpler one is executive breach simulations. Mm. Um, and, and thankfully, we're seeing a lot of interest and demand in this area. But what that really focuses on is not the technical bits and bytes of how you deal with a breach. We have long seen lots of organizations engage on technical uh, tabletop exercises, and they do extraordinarily well. Um, but one of the things that we've seen in growing importance, especially around ransomware, is the need for the C-suite and even the board to be aware of what this means for the business. Mm -hmm. It is a substantial risk that businesses face, right? When we look at ransom situations that are approaching tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars in ransom payments, these are not small situations. And, you know, like I mentioned earlier when we were talking, in many of these cases, the threat actors demand payment in hours or at most a couple of days. 
if your C-suite doesn't understand what this threat looks like and you're going to turn to them and say, hey, I need a check for $100 million and I need it by tomorrow morning. Is that good? Everyone's going to look at you like you have three heads and no one's going to be able to fully understand why that needs to happen so quickly. So what we're seeing is organizations now increasingly interested in bringing their C-suite and their board together to say, hey, if we get hit with one of these, this is what it's going to kind of, you know, kind of think of it as like one of those 4D rides, an immersive experience where you can kind of see, feel, taste, and smell what this breach looks like so that when you're in an actual event, this is not the first time you're going through it. I mean, and I've actually been a part of some of these that we've executed and you can see like people kind of pulling their hair. You can see people starting to sweat. Um, and, and we're not trying to, to, to get people worked up, but what we're trying to do is get people to understand what a real situation is going to look like. Because when you're in that heat of the moment, you're going to have to make decisions. You're not going to have all the information and you're only going to have hours to react. So the executive breach simulation, I say it's a small one because typically they're anywhere from a couple of hours to a half day exercise, but there's not a single organization that we've done one with that has it has had anything but um you know glowing feedback and have you know immediately come back and said we've got to do more of these or we have to do these with other groups because it was uh you know it was very educational for them. Well it kind of reminds me that you know I mean it would be great if every organization could have one of these in place, but uh for those that have SOC environments where they can run cyber attack simulation um, from a network standpoint and how they can you know combat those threats and learn about those and get all their people skilled and, and, and ready to you know for a real attack because you just don't know when those are going to come but again sure. that's a luxury that not every business as we know, can afford or has implemented. Uh, so it was great to hear that Verizon does have solutions that can help organizations with that. Um, I think that's something that organizations should really consider taking advantage of. One of the other things that I saw on the Verizon website, uh, there's a cybersecurity webinar series that's available to view. Um, and I thought maybe we could talk just a little bit about what uh, viewers can expect if they check that series out. Also, uh, upcoming, um, it may be already uh, happened while this goes live and people see it, is uh, a September 16th. There's a Cybersecurity Innovation Showcase, which uh, people could register for. But if it's after the 16th, it will appear on the Verizon website that people can check out. And so I was hoping you could maybe add some context around uh, those things that people can find if they go to the Verizon website. Yeah, sure. Excellent. Um, so you know, we're big believers in sharing and educating and, and, you know, helping everybody understand what we see. You know, you mentioned the DBIR before, and that's a great kind of retrospective of what we have seen and where we believe things are going. The The webinar series that you mentioned is something called our monthly intelligence briefings or MIBs. They are actually um, broadcast on a platform called Bright Talk. I encourage folks to go on Bright Talk, look up Verizon Business or Verizon Monthly Intelligence Briefings. You'll see them, um, and by the name would, would uh, imply they happen every month. And what we do is they're about anywhere from 60 to 90 minutes in length, and we go through live during those events what it is that our team is seeing right now, like literally right now, what's happening today, what happened last week, what is it that we are seeing happening going forward, what is it that people are concerned about. 
We have our incident responders. We have our threat intelligence analysts who are all there talking about that live. And then also they take questions from the audience. So if you're seeing something, if you're concerned about something, you can raise questions live in that forum and they're always happy to answer it. Um, and then as you mentioned, those events are also made available for replay. So you can always go to that Bright Talk platform and go back to it and watch the replay later on if you weren't able to join uh, the event live. And we also try to have a bit of a theme to each of those monthly events. So while we will cover what is relevant and topical for the day, um, we also try to kind of thematically approach them. So if you go on the website, you'll see the list of what each of those monthly briefings themes are. And, you know, I, I encourage folks to check them out and join. They're all free. Um, and then the innovation um, showcase that you mentioned, um, there's a handful of episodes there that will be uh, that will be airing if they haven't already by the time um, you watch this podcast. But again, as you mentioned, James, they're available for replay. But we'll be talking about SASE and some key considerations for, you know, securing today's modern, rapidly evolving networks. Another one will be on, you know, why your business may need managed detection response, what you can gain from that. Again, we're hearing a lot of organizations struggling with resources, whether it's people or technology. Um, and then there'll be another episode on threat and vulnerability and, you know, the importance of and how to engage for things like penetration testing and red teaming exercises. I mentioned breach simulations. This is kind of another view on that. And then another episode is looking at supply chain. You know, we've seen a lot of big breaches over the course of just the last year where there have been big impacts to supply chain. We've all heard about solar winds, you know, Microsoft Hafnium and a few other uh, events that have been very notable. Um, Kaseya being another big one. Looking at your supply chain, how it is you're securing it, because today businesses are not you know, it's not all within your four walls. You can't control all of your security on your own. You have to engage with your suppliers, understand what it is that they're doing to protect themselves. And then by association, how does that protect you, your data, your applications and your systems that you may share or uh, work with them on? So that's another uh, key consideration as part of that innovation showcase. And I encourage folks to attend. I, I'm astounded at the wealth of information that's available uh, for folks. And again, that's go to the Verizon.com website and uh, go to business and solutions, secure your business, and you're going to find access to all of this information. Uh, but beyond that, if people uh, want to get in touch with Verizon uh, because, you know, they want to access some of your solutions for security, where should they go? How should they reach out in order to get in touch with somebody in Verizon? Sure. Yeah. So if you go to the Verizon website, there is, uh, especially the, the one that you mentioned there, verizon.com slash business slash solutions slash secure hyphen your hyphen business. Um, you'll find that pretty much at the top of every page, there will be contact information on how you can engage with someone at Verizon and talk with us more about, you know, what our offerings are. You know, I, I always enjoy talking about it. So if folks want to talk at a more um, technical or deep dive level, or maybe even want to engage with some of our practitioners, you can also always feel free to reach out to me one-on-one. -on -one. I'm fairly active on um, LinkedIn and Twitter. You should be able to easily find me there. On Twitter, I am at Chris J. Novak. Um, so feel free to connect with me there if, uh, if you'd like to continue the discussion further uh, on a more one-to-one uh, -one basis. Once more, I've been chatting with Verizon's Global Director of Threat Research Advisory Center, uh, Christopher Novak. Christopher, 
Before we go, any last words or thoughts on cybersecurity and the work you are doing at Verizon to lead businesses on the right path to a stronger and more secure network? Yeah, thanks. I've absolutely enjoyed being on the program. So, so thanks for that. In terms of last words, I'd say, you know, key thing that I always try to put out there is, you know, collaboration is important. We need to work together. The threat actors are constantly working together, sharing information. Those of us on the defensive and prevention side of the fence, we need to be doing the same. So, you know, I encourage everybody, you know, heed some of these recommendations, you know, do some of your own due diligence um, and work to see how you can collaborate with some of your peers and, and partners. And I think that is ultimately how we succeed in improving, you know, the cybersecurity landscape for everybody. Christopher Novak, thank you for your insights and your time today. It was a pleasure. Thank you. You too. And thank you for tuning into this episode uh, brought to you by Verizon. I hope you enjoyed this discussion and we have more great shows coming your way in the near future. Uh, I think there's a lot to talk about with cybersecurity. And, and so I'm excited that we get a chance to dive in uh, to this a little bit deeper. Uh, so be on the lookout for those. And you can always stay up to date on the latest content by subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Again, Verizon.com. Go there and then search businesses and solutions and you're going to get a wealth of information. But until then, I'm your host, James Kent. Let's talk again soon.